Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. everyone. Welcome back to the Radically Love podcast. This is Tessa, your host, and we are welcoming Sarah Ezrin, the amazing Sarah Ezrin to the podcast today. So excited to have you here, Sarah. Um, for those of you, I'm, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and assume that most of our audience knows who you are. But I will introduce you um, as a uh, yoga educator and senior teacher and trainer for, well, now your bio says yoga works. Still, still doing mm. yoga works? Oh, no, no, no. I don't know. <laughs> we got to update that. I am still a part of the yoga works family, but yes. uh, the company structure has changed. So yes, I am. I am teaching, but not necessarily there. It's, it's complicated. It's complicated. I'm sure it is. You don't have to go into it. If you want to feel free. It always is. Yeah. <laughs> Just different phases, you know, like different phases of life and started having babies and, you know, so I'm, I'm in a pause on my like public class teaching, but I think what we do and like what you do here too, I, I constitute as teaching, right? So oh, it's like, that's why it's complicated. I think we're still teaching yoga, just not through poses. At least yeah. Me. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, we're going to talk about that today in detail because I love that subject yes. and I love what you just said. Um, and speaking of that, you were also a freelance writer um, and a longtime contributor to Yoga Journal, which is so cool. I love that. Um, and the author of the newly released The Yoga of Parenting, 10 yoga-based practices to help you stay grounded, connect with your kids, and be kind to yourself. Congrats on that. Um, Thank it's you. It's been such a joy to read through it. And yeah, it's just, it's just, what a cool book. I love it. There's a lot of takeaways. And I think that even if you're not a parent, like this is still a good book for you to read as a human being who, you know, wants to be present and establish boundaries and find balance and work on non-attachment. I mean, um, all of that is in there. So thank you for writing the book. I Sarah. think it's like, thank you, sweetie. Thank you for having me. I mean, I feel like I, I just did this like conscious money course. <laughs> No, which like I don't, I have zero interest in, I'm not like into finances or anything, but I took it because I was so curious about like, what's the yogic lens on this whole thing. And that's what made me think about the book is I was like, oh, you know, yes. Okay. It's parenting, but really we're all kind of saying the same thing, which is exactly what you said, right? Which is like learning to live with intention, learning to be present, learning to make conscious choices. So even though parenting happens to be the subject, like it, it really is just about showing up and living our lives from this place of authenticity and presence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, right in the very beginning, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of laughing because it's it's like, in the very beginning, there's a statement, parenting is yoga. 
And you you go on to say, I've been meditating for nearly 30 years and practicing asana, the physical practice for over 20. And I can say without a doubt that the most advanced yoga I've ever done is raising children. And, you know, what a statement like that's would, would you let's unravel this statement a little bit. And I understand what you're saying, but I want to hear in your words a little bit more about this. Parenting is yoga. Well, I actually, because, you know, I wrote that when I was pregnant with my second, like we hadn't even welcomed him earthside yet. I had done the editing when he was finally here. But I have to say, like, now I'm like, oh, I think relationships, <laughs> partnership when you have young children might be harder sometimes than parenting. I think what, what it really comes down to is it's not parenting or partnerships. It's relationships. That's what becomes complex. And it's staying connected to your truth and, you know, what you stand for, discerning what you're feeling is, you know, is an intuitive response while also interacting with another human being in this world. And that's, that's really hard. It's much easier to meditate in a cave by yourself or, you know, in the early dawn before the rest of the family is awake than to stay super grounded in actual interactions, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I, like, even though, you know, this, I, I definitely felt that way in the moment. And it's funny how things can change as quickly as they already have. But I would say now, and, and that it really is just relationships, relationships. And maybe that's just me, but, you know, coming from like, uh, you know, history of, of alcoholics and addicts in my family where, so relationships are, are challenging, but I find it's more complex than any shape I've ever taken in my body. So, you know, I go in and I do a yoga practice, or at least I used to, I don't practice this way anymore, where, you know, I would do these really like, you know, just like wild, one leg is here and one arm is here and like, you know, anatomically very complex. And people would be like, wow, you know, like that's a very advanced shape. Or I'd see someone doing something in the room that was like, holy, you know, moly, I can't believe I'm seeing this. But I realized like I could do all those things and still be completely checked out. I could do all those mm -hmm. things and be completely disconnected from my body, not present in what's actually happening. My mind could be everywhere else, but in that moment. But when I'm in relationship and I'm being truthful about being present in that moment and I'm co-regulating with another human being, that is way harder for me than shoving my leg behind my head and sitting upright. There are so many nuances and spaces and connection opportunities and then disconnection opportunities. And there's just, it's such a dance and it's so complex. It requires such presence and connection. And when we go to what the roots of yoga are, and we look at the original wisdom traditions and the actual word itself, like the etymology of the word yoga, we realize, well, you know, the physical poses is what we've adopted here in the West. But that's like tiny, 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 tiny piece of what it's about. Yoga is really a practice of connection. And whether that's through meditation or breath work or prayer or mantra or karma yoga, right? There's like forms of yoga that's all selfless service or bhakti yoga, yoga of devotion, or like, you know, the Sufi mystics who spin. There's all these different ways that people are trying to get to a similar thing, which is connection, connection with self, connection with a higher power, connection with other. 
And so when we're doing that as like regular people in an everyday world, and it's with another human being who has personality and changes and needs, that's complex. It's really really challenging um and i you know i i yeah i mean i think it's it's particularly challenging with toddlers because they are dysregulated and you have to like you're literally using your nervous system to regulate them but i just i think it's just relationship in general i think being in the world as a human being in these days is hard and thank goodness for practices like yoga and meditation um, you know, although some would say that I'm saying the same thing there, you know, because then you give us opportunities of like anchors and like tools, right, of how I can show up as presently as possible. Mm, yeah, there's so much you just said that I want to pull on. And I had actually pulled out of the book a statement about presence, which you actually just spoke to, which is presence has little to do with where we physically are in space, and much more to do with awareness of our attention. Mm. Um, and that really stuck out to me. And, and then you you saying it here again about being present in relationship, being authentic in relationship is, it's a hard thing to do, right? And I, I totally get what you're saying about being in a room doing a complex anatomical shape or creating some sort of uh, impressive looking shape in a room. But how that that can also be a way to kind of check out mentally, not really be present. I'm not saying this is true 100% of the time, but I've, I can certainly resonate with that sense of being able to do this thing almost on autopilot, but not really be there mentally. Um, I think we do both, right? Like I, yeah. I used to teach that portion for Yoga Works when I was t uh, teaching the trainings for Yoga Works, um, was we would teach like advanced asana. That was the name of the workshop. And we would say like, you know, there's, we can differentiate between advanced poses, advanced shapes or advanced physicality, and then the advanced practice. And that you can have some, you can do something advanced with your body that's complex and challenging and anatomically complex but you can be, as you said, completely checked out. Or you can do something as simple as just standing there in Tadasana or laying there in Shavasana, but you're so deeply in, involved and um, committed to what's happening that like that then becomes the advanced practice. And I think it's the same thing in relationship. We can be physically in a room with somebody but mentally completely somewhere else, old relationships or, you know, a future trip in about your personal work or things, you know, that aren't even like in the, the room itself, or you can be present in what's happening. So it's, you know, it's like, it's, it's just how it's, it's amazing because the physical body can be somewhere, but the mind can be elsewhere. And it's really about that integration piece, right? Like, can you be in exactly what you're doing and where you are? Yeah, that's the ultimate question. <laughs> I mean, that is the practice, right? <laughs> um, the other thing that I heard you say was around co-regulation in relationship. Mm. And that always perks my ears up when I hear someone say co-regulation. Um, because I think it's, I think it needs to be defined again, often, at least for me, I, I always go, okay, now, wait a minute, what's the difference between co-regulation and um, codependence. And I know there is a big difference, um, but yeah. I always like to like, wait, let's go back to that. How do we define co-regulation? What does that look like in between two people? Would you mind? 
I love, I love the idea of like looking at the two of those separately. So let's talk co-regulation really quickly as far as like parenting, and then we'll take a wider lens in just social interactions, right? And like polyvagal theory to the best yeah. of my ability, because I am, yeah. I, I only know, you know, from like obs obsessively studying Dr. Stephen Porges. But when it comes to children, up until I, I believe it's like eight years old or something, their nervous system is entirely reliant on their caregiver's nervous system for regulation. So they are, they are looking to you to be the leader of how to regulate. Mm -hmm. And it's not until the brain is, is formed, and it, it's not until we're 25 years old that the frontal cortex of the brain, which is that higher reasoning, decision-making, what makes us human, is actually fully formed. So maybe it is all the way up until 25 that they're, they're using the elders in the room. They're using the people that they look up to to help them find those wiser choices to start to tap in and to plug into that part of the brain. So they're, the, the co-regulation piece and, and taking it way back to in utero, if you carry your baby and then you give birth, that baby and, and the, the person that carried the baby, their nervous systems are often deeply intertwined, like almost like the baby can't, there's no separation between like, you know, mama's heart or, or um, you know, any, any parent can have a child, but the, the caregiver's uh, heartbeat then regulates the child's heartbeat and vice versa. So there's an, an intricate connection with, with who you're taking care of. And P.S., it affects our pets. So we were talking earlier, like you have your cats and I have my dogs. Very similarly, we are influenced by the nervous systems of the people around us. Now, so with the children, like th there's a survival aspect of them relying on the elder nervous system. Mm -hmm. But then when you take a more macro view, you look at us as social creatures and we're constantly bouncing off of each other's nervous systems. You and I, our nervous systems are bouncing off of each other right now. Our mirror neurons are going off as we're talking. We, you know, empathized in the beginning before we started, even just looking in each other's eyes, even though this is digitally. So our nervous systems are, are we are co-regulating whether we, we are aware of it or not. And really what we're doing is, first of all, being around other people is automatically calming, which I like, I have a very hard time with because I'm, like, I'm really introverted, believe it or not, and like super hyper independent. And I was like, I need no one. But then the more research I do, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, no, we are really social creatures. So being in interaction, talking to another person, making eye contact. All those things are calming for our nervous system. We're signaling safety to each other. Every time you and I make eye contact and smile, that's a co-regulation. Codependency would be if I looked sad and then you, your emotions started to kind of get swept up into my sadness and you started to change your behavior to do everything you could to please or take care of me. At least codependency as far as I know it, which is from the Al-Anon lens, um, which is uh, the program in the Al-Anon program for children and family of alcoholics. So I think like the codependency side is almost like our nervous system becomes like enmeshed with another's nervous system. We get kind of sucked into whatever it is that's happening in their world. We get caught up and confused by where do we start? Where do we be, where do we end? Where do they begin? Where do they end? And then suddenly, you know, we're off to the races where co-regulation is 
I'm very clearly here, you're very clearly there, but we are connected and we're able to bring each other into a place of balance. That's me. I don't know. I idea. I'm like, wait, do I even know the answer to this after I just answered it? I mean, that's, that's my awareness of it. And I don't know, they feel like two different things to me. Do they feel different to you? Absolutely. Yeah. And I really appreciate what you said about, um, well, I resonate with what you said about being an, in, uh, an introvert and feeling like, uh, it's hard. It's hard to, I feel the same way. It's hard to wrap my head around this idea that my nervous system is kind of dependent socially on not necessarily dependent, but like it's soothed. It can be soothed by being in the company of others. Like I'll give you an example. I went to a Halloween party last week, which, Oh my God, I haven't been to a party in like a decade. I already have anxiety. <laughs> right? I'm already anxious. I mean, I had to put a costume on and I had to like socialize. With leave that I leave the house and get dressed. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. And I stayed up way past my bedtime, which was, you know, my bedtime these days is like 8.30 p.m. And and that was intensely, I it was, it was jarring for my nervous system. So the idea that, and I understand the theory behind this, that we're social creatures and, and that we do co-regulate and that um, this, this form of socializing does feel soothing to me. I think that when we talk about co-regulation in in different contexts of like there being an introvert or an extrovert, I do much better one-on-one in small groups yep. and a big party with a lot of people that I don't know. That's very challenging for me. And it makes me stressed out. <laughs> um, but also you're walking into a room of a bunch of people that are not necessarily regulated, right? So uh, like yeah. that's that's its own thing too. It's not necessarily like that you walk into a room and then you feel soothed. It has to be, you have to be feeling safe. There has to be signals of safety. And that's like mm-hmm. the eye contact and the smiling. And so for for you and I, and I'm the same, like, I, you know, whenever I was in high school, I'd go to parties and I would like, I would spend hours like talking to one person. I'd miss the whole party and I'd always be like so bummed. But now at 41, I realized, oh no, that's my personality. Like I would much rather be in a corner having a deep discussion, like super deep, you know, like let's talk about our traumas than like dancing, you know, for however many hours, although I love dancing too. So I think it, it's not a matter of just being around people it's the types of connections that you're having. Mm -hmm. And it's the difference, at least for me of like, I'm like, you know, I'm feeling highly anxious. I just want to go in the room and be by myself where then my husband says, and this is assuming he's in a regulated state, right? Because if he's dysregulated, then all bets are off. But if he's in a regulated state and instead says to me, can I give you a hug? That's going to bring me back to a place of safety and settling more than me being alone in the room, trying to calm myself down. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I think that that's just really about primary relationships and uh, very close friendships. And, you know, I mean, particularly the parent-child relationship, but um, from what I'm reading, and I, I obviously this is this is not my area of expertise, but like literally, we're doing it with our pets all the time. So I think so. Maybe I can just go in the room and just hug them. <laughs> and then I don't need I don't need anyone else. But it's yeah, it's just a really fascinating thing. I think we have to be selective though about the uh, 
and the company that we're in. Because I know for me, when I'm in large crowds, I'm like done. It's like, I'm surprised you're even here talking right now. It takes me like weeks to recover. And, uh, but yeah, it's just uh-huh. like that being really much more uh, intentional who yeah. you're with. Yeah. Well, I certainly am. I'm still feeling like I'm catching up on this. The lack of sleep <laughs> from that. And yeah, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where uh, I'm married to an extrovert and I do sometimes decide to make my presence in his community and... <laughs> And sometimes I'm like, now, now, why did I choose to do that? And oh, maybe next time I'll take a pass. But it's, and then there are moments where it's fun. And it's funny how you said, like, you were uh, in high school, you'd find yourself in the corner talking to one person and having a deep conversation because I was sitting, um, I was sitting down and the host of the party came and sat next to me, who's, who seems to me like a guy who likes that similar kind of deep conversation. And I didn't understand what his costume was. And so what I said to him was, Warren, I don't, I don't understand what you are. I don't understand who you're supposed to be. And he looked at me and he's like, oh, Tessa, well, we have to start at the beginning. He thought I was asking him about his life story. <laughs> <laughs> and so he it's literally so deep. sat down. Yeah, it was awesome. I was like, oh my gosh. Last night is it like the best conversation. It was. He told me this amazing story about his childhood. And I was like, well, that's a way better answer than what I was even asking. So thank you. (laughs) That's also like I, so I went to a dinner party recently and it, you know, the entire conversation was surface for like the first two hours. And then they just started to get deep. And just as they were getting deep, I was exhausted. I had to go home to let the babysitter go. I had to leave. And I was talking to someone about that. And I realized like, Oh, I think most people, it takes them a long time to like get to that place and to that depth. But when you have seekers like yourself and like me, like that's like, I don't want to start there. That's where I need to start. And for me, if we had started there, I may have been more energized. I wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't have been as drained than, you know, us talking about the weather or, you know, mom hacks or things like that. I think it's about the interactions too, but it's so funny because literally it was like, it was just getting juicy. And I was like, I can't, I'm sorry. Same thing. It was like eight 30. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta go. This is, please record this. Like, this is, let's, let's put a pin in this. This is where I want to start. next time. That was nice. Um, so thank you, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and I, like, I feel energized just listening to you and Rosie talk like that's sometimes like, that's how I get my energy is I just walk around and I listen to the podcast and, um, but it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think what you and I were talking about was like the idea between whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, how are you getting your energy? And traditionally it was defined as introverts fill up being alone, but extroverts fill up in the company of others. But now I think with this like whole polyvagal theory is, is blowing off the roof is maybe it's less about being alone and more about that concentrated one-on-one connection time, mm-hmm. because it's not that like, we're, like, as we were talking about, we're all social creatures, we all need community and we all need connection to thrive. And, you know, loneliness is a huge epidemic right now, right? Like that, that's like, it, that that's scarier than some of the things that are going on. 
So if we can think about it in that way, then we think like, okay, so because for me, I'm like, I'm an introvert. I'm just going to like hide at home for, you know, eight hours and I'll feel much better. But maybe it really is just that like concentrated one-on-one time, you know, or like talking to a friend who's like-minded, like our conversations are going to fuel me much more than running into a random neighbor. So I think it's just like reframing. Maybe it's not about like being alone versus being with people. I think it's like, it's, it's the type of quality of connection when you are with people. That's a wonderful reframe. I love that. I want to, I want to see if we can kind of connect this or apply this idea to parenting. And I'm thinking specifically about the book in terms of like, you know, I've had so many conversations with other, actually, I was just talking to a student of mine uh, the other day who was, she was describing a conversation she had with her partner. Um, and they were talking about like, gosh, this, why is this so hard? Um, it seems like we're doing something wrong. Are we making Mm. this harder than it has to be? And they were just kind of sitting there. It sounded to me like chatting about, you know, is it like we're putting our energy into the wrong thing? Are we not on the same page? Is parenting really just this hard? (laughs) And so I'm thinking about this from like an energy perspective. And I was curious as to your thoughts. And certainly, you know, you provide some good tips for nourishing and self-care in the book. But what do you think on a practical level? is, Is it a myth to think that we can stay energized as parents and I mean, I'm sure there's going to, it's not linear, right? There's going to be up days and down days. I mean, it's so complex, right? I mean, first of all, you're talking about energy management in general, which I'm so glad that you're bringing up because I think it can be applicable to non-parents, parents, caretakers, sandwich generation alike, right? And that's, you know, we were talking about that in the lens of, of the party situation or how you're fueling up. But from a parenting perspective, and I talk about this in the book, it is being aware of your energy levels, your tank, so to speak, and what are the things that fuel you and what are the things that drain you. Now, so there's a couple of pieces to it, right? That's number one, is just paying attention throughout your day of how am I being fueled? How am I being drained? But but how can you fuel yourself more if your life is have tos and and it, your life has to be all the things that are draining you because you don't have the social systems in place that support you or you don't live near family that support you or you're a single parent and you're pressed for time so there's a bigger issue too of like yes you know let's all learn how to manage our energy that's beautiful We have the privilege in the West to be able to even pay attention to time management and energy management. But the reality is that they're in the world today. And it's not, you know, I would even say like in the United States, we are at a disadvantage because of our social systems and our lack of paid family leave and affordable childcare that like, no matter what, even if you're, you're starting to pay attention to it, you're at a deficit, right? Like we're always kind of starting out behind because we don't have the social systems in place. So there's two different, very different conversations, you know, and um, even the people I know, and I've got friends that are, you know, quite well off and and have tons of support are still exhausted Mm -hmm. just because of the pressure of living in a capitalistic society that's like telling them, you got to go, you got to go, you got to do this, you got to do that. So there's like the bigger overall culture right? That's like weighing heavily on us. And, and wherever you live, that, that obviously differs for us. I'm talking about us living in from a North American lens, 
which is like, do, 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 go, 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 have it all, then there's no systems in place that help support any of that. Like if that's really the, the pressure or the messaging, then where is the affordable childcare? Where is universal preschool? You know, we're paying like, just, I'll just be totally honest with you. We're paying $5,000 a month right now between my two kids for childcare. Wow. I'm not even earning anything right now, technically, by the book. You know, it's like, like I'm not even bringing anything in right now because I'm, I'm, and it's exhausting, right? It's exhausting. And I was thinking today, I'm like, well, you know, I should be doing more just this morning from the time that they woke up until the time that I finally got them into childcare. It was, I mean, I will save their, I will not embarrass either of my children, but let's just say, you know, we've had some, there was toilet training disasters and then food disasters. And it, it was so exhausting. And the, by the time I got home to set up to, to talk to you, I had a half an hour to get some work done. And like, I couldn't. And, and I have a partner. So, you, you know, I, I think the lack of the village, the lack of the support systems, and, and if that can be governmental, great. If it can be communal, great. You know, however you want to provide that. The lack of the village, the extra pressure of just living in the United States where it really is go, 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 do, 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 because we are in a capitalistic society. All those things, they all conflate and, and it makes parenting a hundred times harder. Oh, and not even to mention, not even to mention how attuned we all are now versus how perhaps our parents parented. Like I was born in 1982 and, you know, like my dad is like, he's exhausted just like the like hour that he spends with my son because it's like, he's like, you, you give him so many options and you're so like, you're so available. And, you know, I mean, parenting in the eighties and the nineties, early nineties was very different. Nowadays, we're much more attuned. So there's a lot of factors at play. And then you go online and you see these like momfluencers and dadfluencers that are like showing up and doing everything and seeming to have extra time for date night and, you know, all like putting their makeup on every day. And it, it just creates this false narrative that we're doing something wrong. We're not doing anything. We're lacking a village and we're lacking the social systems that could potentially help support us because we see it in other countries. We see that there is, you know, when you have a year off of maternity leave and paternity leave, how much better adjusted those parents are when they go back, how much better adjusted, you know, it just the whole system is as a result because the parents are being taken care of. Mm. Sorry, that's my soapbox. (laughs) I love your soapbox. You're right. But I mean, my next question is, and this is an impossible one to answer is where do we affect change? How do we, how do we make the change societally and individually? Because it feels like, uh, it feels like a rat race, you know, and we, now we have the flexibility, a lot of us, you know, flexibility privilege to work from home, but still I find myself feeling feeling, feeling depleted. And I'm not commuting two hours every day like I used to a couple of years ago. But I'm, mm. how am I depleted? <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Yeah. We're recording this October 2023. We've had quite a run. You know, uh, there's been a lot of trauma and our nervous systems are not developed to handle global trauma like this. 
And, you know, it, whether the world has is more chaotic or less chaotic, I don't think that matters. I, you know, we, we were not aware of every single thing going on 24 hours a day. And, and for empaths, it's, it's particularly challenging. And then coming out of the aftermath uh, that was the pandemic and again, the social isolation, right? And, and I mean, we're all coming into this from a place of burnout. So I think from like a bigger picture, like let's not even talk about parents right now, it, it comes back to, again, what's draining you? What's fueling you? And how can you make wise choices around that? Um, it's, it's so hard when you need to make a living, but at the same time, can you choose work? You and I have a privilege that we get to, you know, I, I'm, I'm not earning money right now because my, my husband is earning enough for both of us right now and for the family right now. It's, it can't be that way forever, but like, let's name that privilege, right? I have the privilege right now to have the space to choose where my energy is going to go next. And that doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. So we have that privilege, right? There is that, that situation where a lot of people don't, where they have to be grinding and grinding. But can you find these moments where you are doing things to fuel you? Can you make choices? Maybe you don't, you know, put your kid into every single um after school activity, or maybe you don't you say yes to every single commitment. There are just ways and choices that we can make personally for ourselves that are, you know, from the time we wake up in the morning, maybe it is waking up five minutes earlier to have that quiet sit so that it feels like you have more time and space throughout the day. That's like on a personal level. But I also think socially, we have a responsibility to be the village for one another. And, you know, I like, again, full, like, honesty, I didn't, I barely had, like, hung out with a kid before having my own. I had zero interest in becoming a mom, which is hilarious, because now it's like, it's my everything, you know. Um, but we can still be a village in other ways, you know, we can still show up when someone has a baby and, you know, buy them coffee or you know, offer to pet sit, right? Like there's ways that we can show up just checking in with people. A friend of mine um, who I think you may know just lost someone, lost her partner. And like, I'm texting her every day. I'm like, you don't need to respond to me, but I just want you to know that I'm here. So there's the like taking care of ourselves, sure, but there's also showing up for each other and, and then remembering that when we show up for each other, which I know feels really hard when you're depleted and, and if you're just totally wiped out, you know, take care of you. But that, like, the better we take care of each other, the better we can all take care of each other. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just becomes this this circle and this cycle. But it, it, it's got to be named. We've got to address it. And we've got to have an agreement. And I think in, like, who we choose to spend our time with. And, you know, you and I are seekers. And the people listening to this podcast, I assume, right? Like, if you're attracted to Rosie's teachings and to Tessa's teachings, like, all of us are, are trying to do something differently. So it starts, you know, within, and then how are we showing up? All right, Sarah, it has been an absolute joy and pleasure to chat with you. I'm wondering if there's any key takeaway you want to offer from this conversation or from the book, or maybe both to wrap us mm -hmm. up today. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you, Rosie. In, in the ether, I texted her this morning and told her we were chatting. And, and thank you so much, Tessa, for having me. I mean, I think the key takeaway is let's be the village for each other. And 
just remember how key community is and connection is to our healing. And whether that's us reaching out because we need someone or us being able to step up because we have the space for it. Let's be the village for each other. Mm. So good. Well said, Sarah. And let's support Sarah, be part of her village and buy the book. It's a good one. I love to connect with everybody too. So, you know, whether it's on Instagram or uh, sending me emails, I, I would love to be your village. Yeah. We'll make sure all of those good links get into our show notes so people can easily find you too, Sarah. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Tessa. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved Podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com.